0: Namaste, welcome to Colin Response Podcasts with Krishnadas, where he shares meaningful stories of his life on the path, of his Guru Maharaji, and integrating spiritual practice into our everyday lives. Colin Response Podcasts is an offering of the Kirtan Mala Foundation. The foundation is dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba, a great spiritual teacher of India.
1: it's more like an ability to let go. Oh, hi. <laughs> Welcome back to the, the new abnormal, as somebody wrote. It's good to be with you again. I uh, can't see you, but uh, we're here together on the planet. Yeah, so we spend some time together again tonight. The chanting practice for me is the most powerful way that I have to keep letting go, coming back to some useful, reasonable perspective about things. Um, things to get tend to get a little intense when you're locked in one space together, with people or without people. Even alone, it gets very intense, because you, all you see is your own mind. And at least when you're alone, you can't blame anybody else for your thoughts and your emotions. But when you're with other people, it can get pretty intense. But regardless, alone or together or whatever, sooner or later we have to deal with our mind and our thoughts and our emotions. As the the previous Karmapa, the 16th Karmapa once said, the only thing you take with you when you die is your state of mind. So, now is the time to begin or continue working with that state of mind, getting to a place where it doesn't push us around all the time, where we get some vote into how we go through the day, always sit inside of ourselves the meaning of these chants is something that we, we is not un- to be understood intellectually and uh, what happens is the more you chant the deeper the more often you you come back to the chant and so you're actually acclimating yourself to sit in the chanting, in the flow of sound. And inside this flow of sound, many things will come, many understandings, intuitions, uh, flashes of insight come from inside the chant, comes to The awareness comes to our mind. Those are not thoughts. They they are coming from inside the chant, they're intuition, coming from the heart. The seat of awareness in ourselves, our true nature, our heart cave, or as they call it, hridayam, the seat of consciousness in the body. It's not actually in the body, they say. but. It's attached, attaches itself to the body and pumps awareness into the body. The mind is what lights up everything that we see. Just like the sun lights up the physical world, or lamps, flashlights. It's the mind that lights up everything we see everything we think, all the objects that we perceive. Or actually perceive them by awareness. And this awareness is part of that sat Chit ananda which is the way, one of the ways they describe reality or divinity, real divinity, truth, consciousness, awareness, and bliss. Happiness is one of those things, so, how, although if you're from Long Island, you know, you might be disqualified from that last, uh, last one. But we're working on it. Uh, so, as we chant, and Maharaj used to say, Ram Nam Karne Se Sapura Hojata. From going on repeating these names, everything is accomplished. Everything is brought to fullness. That's a very powerful statement. And it's something that we have to, at least, if not take on faith, not blind faith, but educated faith, if not that, at least we have to suspend disbelief long enough to do the practice and get the experience ourselves. If you can't do the practice, if you can't look inside, you won't see. So if we're prevented from doing that by skepticism or by a negative take on reality or a belief that we could never be happy, there's no way we could deal with our shit. If we don't do anything, if we don't plant the seeds of waking up, we won't wake up. So that's the deal. Now, all these names that we sing, these are the names of that place within us. True being, true love, reality. Now, how can that be a name of something like that? We don't know. We have to just do the practice and have our own experience of it. See if if it changes the way we feel about how we go through our day. And it doesn't happen all at once. It takes time. It takes time and... And trying to give ourselves more and more to the practice, trying to really be there while we're doing it. It's very hard. You know, we're not used to We're just used to paying to getting lost in stuff. When we watch a movie on television, we're not aware that we're watching. We're just gone into it. When we're reading a book, we're not aware that we're reading. We're just reading when we go through our day we're not aware we're asleep we're just going through stuff automatically so even though the so the idea of doing a practice comes to us as a result of our own karmas our own good karmas the karmas that create the longing to be free of negativity of stuff of suffering which is created by our own minds. So, as we do these practices, even when we get caught in stuff, we don't get caught quite as deeply as we used to. Little by little, gradually but inevitably, that the reality, the presence that's hidden within us is uncovered. It's like The lights go on and you see the way home and you start to move in that direction. People say, oh, you know, what's the most powerful chant? And I say, the one that you do. What's your favorite chant? Who knows, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. You sing what you feel and follow that feeling, believe in that feeling, trust in that feeling. The whole path is nothing but learning to trust Ourselves and our own experience, and to let the clouds go, let the clouds of of uh, that that come between us and the sun. Just keep letting them go, letting them go, as we trust our own ex- intuition and experience. Back in the old days in India. Uh, I was staying at the Tuari's house, Mr. and Mrs. Tuari, my Indian parents. And uh, I had heard somewhere someone was singing this thing that had these words, Narayani Namostute, which means I bow to Narayani, the goddess Durga. So I asked Mr. Tuari Baba, as I called him, I said, Baba, you know, have you ever heard this, Narayani Namostute? Oh, yes, you said. Oh, really? Uh, could you teach it to me? Oh. So we were in the living room drinking tea, so he was having milk. I was having chai. And uh, so he started to recite this prayer, just sitting there, no books or anything. He, and I was trying to write it down. He was going slow. Uh, and then he just kind of closed his eyes and went off. And faster and faster and deeper and deeper. And after about 20 minutes, so I just sat there. After about 20 minutes, he's going, Oh, I'm not lying. Oh, I'm not Oh. He went into samadhi. He merged with the goddess. And he's like this, and he's not breathing. Not breathing. Not breathing. Okay, and tears are streaming down his cheeks. He's just like this. So I thought, shit, I killed him. <laughs> and uh, just then Ma comes into the living room to get the teacups, and I say, Ma, look. It's Baba. When's he going to come back? And she picked up the teacups. She just looked at me, and she said very sweetly, That's her over there. I don't know if you can see her right now. She said, don't know. And then went into the kitchen, leaving me with this crying corpse. The thing was, it really pissed me off because he wasn't even trying. He was just singing to the mother, calling the mother, calling the goddess. And he just went, she came. So, we're working on it. All right, let's see what kind of questions we have here. How did you overcome the sadness of having the guru in the body? Does one ever overcome the longing to have him in the flesh to see? No. (laughs) No. You never overcome that longing, but at some point, you see, because we identify with the body and the mind, uh, not the mind, but the body and the thoughts and the emotions, we see the guru as, as the body, thoughts, and emotions. And so if that body's not there, we get very upset, like me. Got very upset, very depressed, very suicidal, very screwed up. But at some point, I, were, I realized that I, w- I came from one room to another in my apartment in the city at that point in New York, and I was struck like a lightning bolt with the understanding that if I did not chant with people, I would never clean out the dark corners and the shadows in my own heart and it was obvious to me that at that moment that those shadows and those dark corners were the only thing that was causing me suffering and that i had to find i had to do that in order to reconnect more deeply with maharaji i had felt i felt that i had let go of his hand and he had said many times to us he said once I take your hand, I never let go, even when you let go of mine. And I had let go. Out of my sadness and my emotional attachment to his being with his, that body, I, I broke my, from my side, I broke the connection. I lost the connection. And I recognized the only way to get it back was to start chanting with people. So I started. And as time went on, I began to feel his presence in a different way. And uh, so I don't miss him that way anymore, the way I did when he first left the body i mean it was the best show on earth totally fascinating totally joyful blissful a lot of the time and amazing so you're going to miss that but that wasn't the deepest part of it and we had i had to recognize that and find that deeper presence in my own being and in everyone around me too, because he's not limited to being inside of me, so to speak. So part of practice is seeing that presence, that love, that beauty in every being around. And like it says in the Gita, I read it the other day, I'll just read it again. If I can find it. Krishna, Sri Krishna says, when he sees me, that's me, Krishna, Guru, God, when he sees me in all and sees all in me, then I never leave him and he never leaves me. And he who in this oneness of love loves me in whatever he sees. Wherever this man may live, in truth, he lives in me. So, I just had to stop moping around and get with the program, because that's the deal. And uh, coming from Long Island, it wasn't very easy, but that's the deal. So Did Maharaji have children? Yeah, he had three children. He left home at a very early age. He had been engaged to a village girl when he was like eight or nine. They get engaged very early, and then later on, they they get married, many years later, when they grow up more. So he had been engaged to a, a village woman and a village girl, and then uh, he ran away from home, they say, because his mother, his stepmother, uh, his mother had died and his father remarried. And his stepmother, they had a son, and she wanted the son, her son, to take, to inherit the land. Her father, his father was a landowner, a farmer, and he had a lot of land, apparently. So she wouldn't feed him and treated him very badly. So he split. And he went to the jungle for many years. And years later, uh, somebody recognized him and told his father, and his father came and brought him back home. And he married... The, the 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 girl and they had three children and he pretty much stayed around home until his daughter who was his youngest child went off to uh, school at his uncle her his brother's house and at that point he kind of left home and never much really lived there again at home she said uh, her name is good she said that he was the ideal father he used to walk her to school with an umbrella and when it was too hot and the sun was shining. And that she remembers that he was just always there. Uh, but that's part of his... Uh, the word is lila, which means play. Because he wasn't always there, but people didn't miss him. Very strange stuff. Once you start getting into this, it's really... One of the things that happened is, for many years, he would just sit in, at, inside the house. He wouldn't travel. He wouldn't go anywhere. And people would come to the house. Sadhus and yogis would come to see him. How they knew he was there, no one knows, because he didn't advertise. You know, He just stayed in the house, but they found him. So... Uh, yeah, so many stories. Yes, he was married, three children. Did Maharaji give me the name Krishadas? Yes, he did. Uh, all the other Westerners had Indian names. After a year or so, I was the only one who didn't have one. I, my name used to call me Driver. Ram had a had bought a Volkswagen bus and... Uh, Maharaji said to Ramdas, "Ramdas, you're a saint. You have to travel the lowest way in the in the, the the buses, the state the state buses, public bus transportation." And he took the keys from Ramdas and he gave them to me. He said, "You're the driver." From that point on, he called me driver for about a year. And finally, he go, "Driver, huh, Baba? Yeah." So finally, one day, uh, I get called into the room and. Uh, he looks at me and says, Krishna, nay, Arjun, nay, Krishna Das. And I looked at him and I said, Krishna Das? You know, I'm a Hanuman guy. What is this Krishna stuff? And he just laughed. He said, nay, nay, Hanuman served Krishna too. So that's how I got my name. What can someone do if they live in the very small town in the USA and may never be able to have a guru find them? Sweetheart. Guru can find you anywhere, anytime, any day, any year, in a minute, in a second, if that's what's supposed to happen for you, if that's the best thing for you and your development. You know, you gotta, you got to get with the program. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about how you think it should be. It happens to be a certain way. And uh, it's the gurus who run the show. Hmm. And they find us when, we're, when, it's, when we need that. If, if we don't meet a guru in the physical form, does that mean that you don't have a guru? Not at all. Everyone has a lineage that they're part of. Everyone. Whether they're aware of it is irrelevant. Look at yourself. See the work you have to do and get with the program. That's all. It's not about us. It's not about us. The program is running. Work on yourself. Be a good human being. Give up, work with your shame, your guilt, your fear, your anger, your selfishness. Guru is always with you. Guru, God, and self are not different. That's what they say. So don't mope around. It's not useful. Get, get to work and do what you have to do to find who you are. And then Guru will be everywhere. Tell us how Mr. Tori came back from Samadhi. I, I'll let you know when I go there and come back. <laughs> Actually, you know, he was a school teacher and the headmaster of a, a school later on. And in India, uh, the family usually waits and they eat together at night when they're finally all home. So, he would come home from work and he would start doing his puja, his practices. And he would go into samadhi for hours and everybody would be waiting to eat. So, and they couldn't bring him down. So Mrs. Purwari, she went to Maharaj and complained actually. And Maharaji told her something to do to bring him back from samadhi. I don't know what it is, but she knows. So, uh, you know, I spent so much time with him. We used to sleep in the same bed when I stayed with him. He'd get up 3.30 in the morning, go pee, come back to bed, sit cross-legged, boom gone for hours until tea time. I would roll over in bed and go back to sleep. <laughs> I think to myself, Krishdas, Das, why do not you try to meditate? What is wrong with you? But you know, he never, he never even intimated like, uh, would you like to meditate? He never said that. He, he allowed me to be just as stupid as I had to be. And he never pushed me that way. Every once in a while when I was sitting, he'd come in and say, why are you leaning against the wall? Sit up straight. How did he know that? You know, he was amazing. He had all these, he had a lot of cities himself, and he seemed to know a lot of things that couldn't really be known. People who had near-death experience described that they were sent back because they haven't finished their work. Do you know what kind of work we are expected to finish? <laughs> yeah. you are expected to finish thinking you are who you think you are. You're not who you think you are. And until you learn that lesson, we'll, we'll keep reincarnating until we recognize our true nature and become one with the universe. We will keep taking bodies of one form or another. That's the way it is. So, and there's no hurry. You can't, make, you can't go faster, you can't go slower. You can only be who you are. So deal with all that stuff. Learn to take care of yourself. Learn to be good to yourself. Learn to listen to your heart and trust yourself in life and in your interior work as well. That's what we're here to learn. We're here to learn that only God is real. How can I let go of fear of upsetting God and fear of going to hell for being on a new spiritual path different than Christianity? Oh, Jesus, so to speak. The fear you have is not about God. We don't know who God is, what God is, but he's certainly not someone who sits in judgment of us. How could he even have fit in there? We're so busy judging ourselves. There's no room for him to judge us or her to judge us. The whole thing about hell is very interesting. Hell is, in a sense, a state of mind. And eternal damnation is a state of mind that when you don't have a body, it's as real, it's like a dream. And if you have negative karmas, if you've done a lot of, caused a lot of suffering for others and yourself, perhaps, I don't know this for sure, but perhaps you might have to spend some time in that state of mind. And that's called eternal damnation. The thing is, it's not eternal. It feels eternal. When you're in it, like a depression can feel eternal, like you'll never get out of this. And then when the karmas that brought you to that state of feeling eternal damnation are exhausted and paid for, so to speak, burnt off, you leave that state and enter another one. You might, try, you might even enter a heaven world. But heaven is not eternal either. But it feels eternal when you're in it. That's the nature of the state, so the fear you have, the fear we have you know that's one lifetime kind of fear that's brought that's given to us by people who believe in that kind of stuff and indoctrinate us with that kind of false belief, and they do that so they can control us, so religion can control us, just like reincarnation was taken out of the Christian teachings, I think uh, I forget, it was called the Council of Trent, I think. Or was that called the... There were two big councils. And uh, they threw out everything that would allow people to control their own destiny. Uh, Jesus taught about reincarnation. It's in the original teachings. But they took it out because the church wanted power over people. That's what they say. That's what I've heard. So... The fear you have is not from God, it's your own fear, and that's good news because, and bad news, it's good news and bad news because only you can let go of that. And there's no God up there judging you. Everybody has karmas, and everybody creates karmas constantly, and those karmas bring fruits if you're selfish and nasty and angry and you beat people up and cause people suffering and create wars and are responsible for the deaths of many, many people and stuff like that, yes, there's a price to pay for that. Definitely they say there's a price to pay for that. And on the same hand, if you're generous and kind and compassionate and you think about others more than yourself, the fruits of that are joyous and open. We don't need any help from God to feel bad about ourselves. Our parents did a good job, and uh, our, our, an organized religion does a really good job with that. So there's no God up in the sky hurling thunderbolts at us. We're hurling them at ourselves. So calm yourself down and try to deprogram yourself from the kind of fearful stuff that you absorb from the community which is hurtful and soul-destroying and has nothing to do with God at all. God is love. Love that doesn't come, it doesn't go, you don't fall in it, you don't fall out of it. Love that is our true nature. That's the deal. So, but if everybody knew that, then, you know, you wouldn't have to pay the priest to pray for you. And they wouldn't be able to be the biggest real estate company in the universe. So, this is all worldly bullshit. And uh, find out who you are. Who's feeling all these things? Let go of that fear. Let go of that fear and fill your heart with truth and love. And uh, only you can create your own happiness, can allow yourself to be happy. Clear out those clouds of, of judging, of anger, of fear, and let yourself be who you are. Yeah, it's just such a shame how many people suffer that way. And it's not just Western religion, all religions to some degree uh, get corrupt and get power issues uh, all of them because people are in religions, and people are like that so but um Well, I hope that helps a little bit. Maybe I'll burn in hell for that. Ah, uh, is it okay to change gurus? This person had a guru, but then the guru's successor didn't uh, didn't uh, do it for that person. So this person wants to change his. Now attracted to another teacher, another guru. You know, Westerners don't understand guru. Guru exists for only one reason. To lead us to find out our our own true nature and become one with them. And they are one with the universe. So they are leading us to overcome this false belief that we are a separate entity, different from everyone else. When we get over that, we merge with the universe. Whether that first guru of yours was really a guru or not, who knows? But I wouldn't even worry about it. Follow your heart. Listen to your heart. Do what you feel you have to do, and do what you want to do, and learn whatever lessons you have to learn along the way. You won't burn in hell. You will learn who you are. So, And any real guru doesn't give a shit if you're there or not. They don't need you there. They don't need you to be bowing to them. They don't exist for your pleasure. I mean, you don't exist for their pleasure. They exist for your pleasure. So if you're not attracted to someone anymore, so-called spiritually, just be at ease with that. It doesn't matter. All All real gurus are the same anyway. They're all one. That's why they're gurus in the first place. They don't want anything. They don't need you to be there. They don't need anything from you, from us. They give us freedom, not bondage. They give us love, not emotional manipulation. So, teachers are different. Teachers teach, and we can learn things from them, but they're not necessarily gurus. And not everybody with siddhis is a guru. Many people with siddhis use them to... uh, manipulate things for their own pleasure that for their egoistic pleasure egoistic needs and desires so Siddhis are not uh don't prove that a person is a guru so don't worry about it just be happy and find out where you want to go and follow your heart what's my favorite spiritual books to read well the Ram the Manas by Tulsidas, which is a the story of Rama and Sita, Hanuman, Lakshman, and the, the battle against the evil forces, the negative forces, the demons. It's all in poetry and it's all devotional. It's so beautiful. Uh, it's the Tulsidas Ramayana. That's my favorite book to read. And I also read biographies of saints from all different religions. Uh, there's an incredible, I've been reading about this, uh, this Christian mystic from the 1800s, yeah. Russian Orthodox Christian mystic, unbelievable. Saint Seraphim of Sarov, S-A-R-O-V. Saint Seraphim, phenomenal. I. He could have been from any culture, the most amazing saint I've ever read about. And he was a Christian hermit in Russia in the 1800s. It's an incredible story. I read uh, about Ramana Maharshi. I read autobiographies of all the saints. That's what I like the most, really. I like to see how they went through their day, what they did, how they saw people, how they saw the world, how they lived in the world, what they did. It's amazing. I love those things. Can you talk on this challenge? If you go on chanting a mantra, you will cling to it like a shelter. And whenever you become afraid, you will chant it again. I don't understand. Why is that a challenge? What's a challenge about that? There's nothing wrong with clinging to a mantra as long as you stop at the red and go at the green. And as long as you don't, you know, beat up everybody around you, and you're good to people, what's the problem with the mantra? Uh, I don't know if clinging to a mantra is really, uh, that implies uh, egoistic need to hurt yourself. That's what it means. So, I don't, I don't, uh, mantra is a shelter. Absolutely, it's a shelter from the rain clouds of thoughts and emotions. But you don't do a mantra with, with willful, uh, aggressive uh, ambition. You do a mantra with ease and in a relaxed manner. You don't try to crush it with your attention. You simply aware of it as you're singing it or saying it. It's not a, a power trip. The mantra is shelter, shelter of the name. We should all we, we should all be able to take shelter in the name. We need shelter from this, in this world. We need shelter of peace and of kindness and compassion and caring for others and ourselves. So I don't really uh, know exactly what you mean. How do we know that the soul exists? How do we know the law of karma holds? I don't know. I don't know how you know. And until you're uh, enlightened, I don't think we really know for sure. But, But if you plant a seed of one type of flower... That's what's going to grow. So, the law, karma is law is cause and effect essentially. That's basically what it is. Every effect has a cause. So, if one is selfish and and uh, greedy and fearful, and lives their life putting up walls around them to protect them from things that creates an atmosphere and out of that atmosphere all your actions are tinged with that so where will where will light come where will kindness come in that situation so you're planting seeds of selfishness and seeds of fear how do you expect to to grow anything else i think when we don't really have the direct experience of the truth of these things until we're pretty much far along on this path, which I'm certainly not. But I've been around enough to see (sighs) to see certain things and have my own experiences that lead me to believe that it's probably true. And based on that, I try to live my life a certain way. You have to find your own way into it. Karma is not f- blind; is it's not uh, it's not fate that can never change. It's actually the key to freedom. Because how we meet each moment, how we f- greet each moment as it arrives, how we react to the things that happen, that creates. That plants many seeds. And that. Uh, so you can see if you're fearful and tense and angry, you'll see things a certain way and you act a certain way and you create more and more of that. So that on that very simple level, you can see how those things work. Whether when you start talking about karma, though, you, then you start to think about other lives, etc. And that's a whole other ballgame. So. Uh, There's a great book about karma, it's called The Laws of Karma, and it's by my friend Robert Svoboda, S-V-O-B-O-D-A, Dr. Robert Svoboda. It's part of a series of books that he wrote called Agora, A-G-H-O-R-A. And uh, the third book in that series is called The Laws of Karma, and it's exquisite. He just put out a new edition of them. This is, this is not for everybody right away. This is the advanced course here. The Agora at the left hand of God. It's about a, a tantric sadhu, his guru, his teacher, who did very extraordinary practices in graveyards and things like that. Very unusual, but extraordinary practices. The second book is called Kundalini which is also amazing, but the book, the one I'm talking about is called Agora 3, The Laws of Karma. That's it. And uh, it's really quite amazing. Uh, and once again, this is not, this is not uh, Spirituality 101. This is the advanced course, but still, it's quite amazing. Very deep, very beautiful, really great. So you can try reading that about it. It's very good. At some point, when you look at yourself and you see how little vote that we have over our lives, and how, how, how little vote we have over our own emotions, and, and we try to, uh, try to figure out how we got to that place, so we can see that we were born in a certain culture that our parents believed certain things, that our friends believed certain things. We were indoctrinated by the culture in a certain kind of way, how we see ourselves, how we experience ourselves, what we believe about ourselves. All that's programming that came to us as we entered into this body, into this world. When you try to soften up that stuff and and slow down the knee-jerk reactions to life and get a vote about how we respond to situations and people. How do we treat people? Usually we don't see people at all. We're too busy with our own version of things. But when we try to open our hearts and soften our hearts and we see how hard it is then we can look out at other people and recognize well if it's hard for me it's got to be hard for them too and if I can't stop creating suffering then other people must be having a hard time doing that as well And then you start to give people a break a little bit as you begin to give yourself a break. Ramana Maharshi said that uh, everything that's going to happen to us is written when we're born. And the only moment of freedom that we have is right now is in the moment. This is the moment when we can have the opportunity to make choices about how we respond to things. But even so, uh, we can't control the past, it's done. But in the future, we don't know what's coming. Right now is the moment that we have to to exercise whatever freedom we might be able to uh, scrounge up to treat people better in a better way, and to treat ourselves in a better way. Anyway, not very clear, I'm afraid, but what can I tell you? Did Maharaji initiate me into his lineage to be a Kirtanwala? Do you believe we need to be initiated to teach others simple mantras like Ram? No. I don't believe that. I believe that you just do what you have to do and do what makes you happy. Uh, He did not initiate me as far as I know. He never did any... uh, He doesn't do stuff like that. He didn't do stuff like that. He would just change everything in your life and you wouldn't even know it. He didn't make a show of making initiations and mantras and things like that. And... uh, He never told me to do this. He just wanted, we just wanted to sing to him because he liked it and also it got us more time with him, which is what we wanted. So that was the deal. And so just as it used to bring us into his physical presence, for me now when I chant, it brings me into his ephemeral presence, into his presence, his real presence right now. And I learned that in some way back then when we were singing to him. So there was never any, as far as I know, any uh, external initiation ceremony. Now, as far as leading kirtan, which is what you're asking about, the only thing that matters is your motivation. If you're doing it because you don't know how to write songs in English and you have a few nice melodies that you can do rom rom over and you want to be a star and you want to have attention and you want to have a job and you want to make some money, you want to be famous and you want people to look up to you, uh, then you're going to create A lot of bullshit for yourself that you're going to have to live through one way or the other. So the most important thing is having good aspiration or good intention. And you just do the best you can. You can sing with people or you can sing at home. If there's a difference, work on it. Because that means you're getting something from the people that you don't have yourself, that you think you don't have yourself. So that's good work to do so you, the thing is you, you can't hide from yourself you can pretend you don't know what you're doing but you're always here and it's up to us to do the best we can so uh because you're not just transmitting you're not just singing a song to people you're chanting you're praying you know you're not singing to people when you chant you're singing to God in that person. Siddiyama used to say to me, sing to the Siddhas on the hill. They used to believe that these ancient yogis lived on this hill opposite the temple. What can you get from people? She said, nothing. Sing to the Siddhas. You sing to, those, to the great beings. You sing to the, the saints. You sing to God, that divine presence within. So it's up to you. What you do. <laughs> Is crying a lot in kirtan just a phase that bhakti yoga beginners go through? Ay, 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 and will eventually calm down over time? Or do criers only become increasingly unhinged? Well, I certainly hope so, as Groucho Marx used to say. <laughs> I want to be completely unhinged. I want the doors to fall off and all the light to come in. Um, A lot of times you cry for a lot of different reasons. Uh, When you chant, you have many different experiences open up from within. A lot of times it hurts when you let go of stuff. It hurts to relax the heart. We're used to being so tight and tense. And the relief of just being able to Ah, you know, that can cause tears. There can be so many things that happen. Uh, I like that, unhinged. I like that. I like that. What could it mean when the sheer instant you wake a mantra is playing inside your body? Well, it's not playing in your body. It's playing in your awareness. I wonder sometimes if... If I engage with the souls in the mantra while the while in the subconscious while asleep. Uh, I don't know what you mean by souls in the mantra. Uh, you mean the great beings maybe that have chanted those mantras and whose energy and presence is, is in the mantras? Of course. And when you do enough japa practice, mantra practice, You'll find that the mantra surfaces in your awareness as you're going through your day. Without you doing it, it'll come back to you. You'll you'll notice that it's going on. And they say that there's a... Eventually, the mantra goes on by itself and pulls you into it, invites you in again and again and again. And then, no matter what you're doing, you're always aware of that mantra. And they always give the uh, uh, the um, example of the village woman in India carrying a huge bask uh, a big uh, clay pot of water balanced on her head, carrying her baby and talking with all the other women coming back from the well. No matter what she's doing, she's aware of the pot on her head; otherwise, it would fall. And that's they say that's how much awareness you need to use at the very at the beginning. You don't grab onto it, but whatever else you're doing in your day, the mantra is with you, just like the pot of water, the clay pot would be balanced on the head. If you go like that, you lose the pot. So in this case, you don't go like that. You're aware of the pot, you're doing all other things. So as the mantra deepens, as your, your heart opens, as your, uh, your awareness deepens, You can be aware of that mantra all day long, and all night long, eventually. Even when you go asleep, in your sleep, the mantra can be there. Now, you might not be aware of it at that time because you're unconscious, so to speak. But the mantra can keep going, even in that state, they say. What routines help me center myself before I chant? I make a cup of coffee. I warm up my voice a little bit. Uh, take a couple of deep breaths. I don't, nothing, you know. I, I've i been doing this so long that the minute I sit down, that's it, I'm just in it. Uh, it's like a, so much many years of singing, it gets deeper every time. All the time it gets deeper. But that letting go muscle, that letting go muscle that we develop by constantly coming back to the name, or the sound of the name, as we're chanting, we're gone, we're back, we're gone, we're back. Every time you come back, you're the neural pathways in the brain are deepened. They've shown this, and uh, it makes it easier as time goes on to relax into the presence, into your true nature. So, um, whatever I, I can say, however poorly I live it, my life is is getting ready to chant. That's what it's about. Uh, you know, that's what it's mainly about: getting ready to do practice into. To let go of the stuff and come home again let go come home let go come home that's really we're all doing that to one degree or other why did maharaja bid vaishnavi mandir at kenchi Uh, because he said up in the mountains where kenchi is in the foothills of the himalayas traditionally they worship kali the goddess kali and they do sacrifices. They'll kill goats and chickens and offer to the goddess because certain forms of Kali traditionally accept that kind of tamasic or dark uh, offerings. So Maharaji said, I had to build Vaishnavi Devi, the Vishnu Shakti uh, instead of Shiva Shakti because if I built Shiva Shakti, they'd be dragging their goats in there and killing them in the courtyard. That was his way of talking. So he built uh, a temple to Vaishnavi Devi Vindya Vasini Durga Devi the form of the goddess that lives in the Vindya hills and is a form of Vishnu Shakti and uh, for Vaishnavi Shakti no sacrifice is allowed. You can't even break a coconut theoretically in the temple grounds. You Bring it off and then you bring it in. Break it on outside. So that was the, the, theoretically the the reason but there's another level of it is that Siddhima herself was a manifestation of the goddess Vaishnavi Devi in fact uh, one time Maharaja was in Allahabad at Dada's house and they all got in a car to drive up to Vindyavasini which is near Allahabad to do puja to the goddess there to the, in the temple there but they started so late that Halfway up the hill, Maharaj said, stop. So they pulled over. Maharaj got out of the passenger seat in the front, took all the uh, supplies that they were going to do the puja with, you know, the RT lamp and the offerings. And he opened the back door of the car where Siddhima was sitting, and he sat on the ground below Siddhima, and he worshipped her as Vindhyavasini Durga Devi right there. And then they turned around and went home. So, So on one level, that temple is Siddhima's temple. It's a temple to Siddhima.
0: Thank you so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Kirtan Mala Foundation. Krishnadas is renowned for leading Kirtan, the spiritual practice of chanting and workshops around the world. For more information about him, including upcoming events, please visit krishnadas.com, K-R-I-S-H-N-A-D-A-S.com. We also invite you to visit kirtanwalafoundation.org, K-I-R-T-A-N-W-A-L-L-A-H-foundation.org, here you will find more offerings dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba. Love everyone. Serve everyone. Remember God. Ram Ram